Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right, good morning, everyone. Let's take out our Bibles like Matt asked and uh, turn to uh, Psalm 20 this morning, Psalm 20. We're uh, in a study where we're going through the Psalms, and uh, as I've been sharing with you, we are going to take a piece of the Psalms every summer until we finish the Psalms, it looks like, so this is our second summer doing so, Uh, and uh, we're going to get through Psalm 21 uh, this year, and so that means next week will be our last Psalm. Pastor Matt, actually, who was giving announcements, will be uh, teaching that Psalm. I'll be doing some speaking in Southern California that I've committed to. Uh, And then after that, um, I'm going to start in two weeks our study of the book of Exodus together, which I'm really excited about. Uh, When you read the Old Testament, you cannot understand it without understanding the book of Exodus in a way that is similar to reading the epistles or the book of Acts or the book of Revelation in the New Testament, it will make no sense to you if you do not understand the Gospels. Uh, The event of the Exodus is talked about and prophesied about and sung about all through the rest of the Old Testament until eventually the prophets began to predict that a new Exodus would come. So really the first Exodus lays the groundwork for the coming of Jesus. So I look forward to explaining to you God who is a God who wants to take us out of our slavery to sin and bring us into a relationship with him as we look at the book of Exodus uh, together. Uh, but today we'll be in Psalm uh, 20. Last few weeks I've been uh, talking about the life groups before the teaching and various reasons why they are a benefit to you and help you live out the New Testament uh, Christian life. But today what I want to do is I want to, when I pray for the teaching, our time in the Word, I want to pray for the leaders and the hosts of these life groups. These are people who have laid down their lives to a degree. They're sacrificing. You know, some of us, as we're attending life group, there are those nights where we don't feel like we want to go. We come up with maybe an excuse. I think think I have a little sniffle. I can't be there tonight. Netflix is calling. You know, those kind of things. But for these leaders and hosts, uh, they don't have that option. They're there, uh, week in and week out, and uh, so I want to pray for them, that the Lord would bless them and encourage them uh, this quarter. So would you pray with me as we get into the word? Lord, we come to you today. Thank you, Lord, for these uh, men and women, young and old, who have made a decision to and have been raised up to lead us and encourage us in Christ. Lord, we pray for all of the hosts this coming quarter and ask that your hand would be upon them and upon their households. Lord, that you'd watch over them and their living space. We pray, Lord, that you'd give them energy and creativity and willingness, Lord, as they lay down their lives in a small way, giving their space to the rest of us. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless them. Lord, for the leaders, we pray that you'd strengthen them from week to week, that you'd fill them with your spirit, that you'd give them, Lord, wisdom and insight, that you give them a willingness and love for their members. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you'd stand with them through any and every difficult or awkward conversation. 
And uh, Lord, that you'd use them to set a great atmosphere and tone for us as we seek you in your word and in prayer and in fellowship together. Thank you, Lord, for these men and women, and we ask, Lord, for your hand of grace and mercy to be upon them. Now, Lord, we turn to your word, and we ask that you'd speak to us from it. Encourage us, Lord, and and, uh, as I've thought about this psalm, I pray that you would use it, Lord, to train us to a life of prayer. We thank you, Lord. We commit it into your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's read the psalm together. Psalm 20, if you could follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Verse one, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now verse six, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Verse nine, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. I want to use this psalm today to talk to you and to encourage you in the subject of prayer. A prayer is one of those things that we know we want to be strong in, but that many modern believers are in actuality uh, very weak in. I know for myself, I would love to be a better prayer than I am. I don't consider myself a strong person of prayer, but psalms like this help me learn how to grow and develop my prayer life before God. And I think that this psalm hits on some real keys that help us understand maybe why some of us are frustrated in prayer and need direction or guidance in prayer. Now, to understand what this psalm is saying on this very specific and important subject, we have to first understand who this psalm is addressing in the first place. You know, if you go to a card aisle at your local Target or Walmart or a place like that, and you browse the aisle for different types of cards. There are some cards that are very generic in nature, right? I I actually recorded some of the greetings that you might find inside of these cards. You know, things like wishing you joy, peace, and happiness today and always. You can kind of give that to anybody, right? Anybody that you care about at all, this is what I'm wishing for you. Uh, Here's another one, thinking of you and sending warm thoughts your way. I've never really understood what it means to send warm thoughts to someone, but apparently it's a thing. And so there you are, I'm thinking about you. Here's another one. May your day be filled with love, laughter, and cherished moments. All of these greetings that I've just said to you, these are generic uh, greetings. But then some cards are very specific, right? You send a Mother's Day card to your mom, You send get well soon cards when people uh, are battling illness. 
You send birthday and anniversary cards on specific dates and graduation cards to people when they graduate. It'd be very awkward to send someone a graduation card if they haven't graduated from anything recently. Uh, there's, there's three people on earth that can send me a happy Father's Day dad card. It's none of you guys. It's my three daughters. And so there are specific ways to send a greeting. The reason I'm saying that is because I think it helps us understand Psalm 20 a little bit. Psalm 20 is not a card filled with generic blessings. And, and I say that because it kind of reads that way almost at first. Those first six or first five verses kind of can feel that way. It's like if I could synopsize those first five verses, you have lines like, may God protect you. May God support you. May God favor you. May God fulfill all your plans. May God give you victory. And when we read those, there might even be a sense within us like, man, I would love for that to be a generic kind of blessing that I could bestow on anyone that I want to pray for in that kind of way. But what I want to say is that this is not a generic psalm at all. It was directed to a specific person. In verse 6, we get a little clue as to who this person is. It's addressed to God's anointed leader. Now, who was that? Well, in the Old Testament era, during the time that these Psalms were written, especially coming from the pen of David himself, the anointed leader in Israel was the king of Israel. Kings were anointed with oil, which was symbolic of being anointed with God's spirit before they began their reign in ancient Israel among God's people. So Israel's kings in this psalmic uh, context were the Lord's anointed. So what this helps us know is that this is a royal song. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer that was prayed for God's kings in ancient Israel. And usually they would pray a song like this when they were under some sort of threat. That's why later in the psalm, there's a commitment made. We will not trust in chariots. We will not trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. They, they knew the battle is about to begin. Who are we trusting we're trusting that God is going to give our king victory. And in fact, this is said resoundingly in the eighth verse when they pray, oh Lord, save the king. So all of that to say, this is not a general song or a general prayer that is prayed about anyone. This is a specific song and a specific prayer that was prayed for the king. So when we read these lines at the very beginning, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. We might rejoice and say, I want to internalize these. I want God to protect me. I want God to work in my life. But we, we need to know that the original singers of this prayer, they were thinking of Israel's king. As beautiful as, as these lines might be to pray generally, they were not prayed for anyone in general. They were prayed specifically for the king. Now, some of you might be sitting here today and you're saying to yourself, well, this is like a real bummer because I read the psalm and those first lines as you were reading it out, I thought, this is great. This is like the most positive section of scripture I've ever read in my life. It's just doling out blessings like crazy. And I, I love that. And I, I would love to discuss Spins that and be able to pray this way. It's a little bum, a little difficult for me to hear that 
I can't just use this as a generic blessing on anything or anyone that I'd like to extend blessings on. But I think if we stop for just a second and really think about those first few words or lines of the psalm, I think we should rejoice. I mean, do we really want anyone on earth to have the fulfillment of their heart's desires and plans? Now, it might, might sound nice at first in sentiment, but I know plenty of people for whom I would pray the exact opposite. I don't want people with perverted or abusive or self-destructive plans to experience the fulfillment of those plans, not at all. And I've had plenty of time examining my own soul, my own heart, my own desires over the years. I'm so thankful that God has said no time and time again to the things that I've wanted, to the things that I've planned, to the things that I've plotted. Really, in a sense, I would say there is no one on the face of the earth, no human being on the face of the earth that I would ever look at and say, you know what I hope for? I hope you get everything you ever want. <laughs> We're destructive. But there is one figure who we would say that of, and it's Jesus. Our great God, our great King, he is the one to whom we can utter this prayer. They prayed this prayer for their king. We pray this prayer concerning our king. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray this way. When his disciples came to him after watching him pray, they said, teach us to pray. We clearly have no idea what we're doing in comparison to what you're doing, so teach us how to do what you're doing. And one of the things that Jesus said to them was, you pray like this, Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's what this psalm is saying. It's saying, God, as king, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of constructing a piece of Ikea furniture before. But you know that they ship it to you in as condensed of a package as it can possibly be packed in. You get it all out. You know that there's a bookcase or whatever in there somewhere. And then they give you a little diagram. It's an exploded diagram. It's got all the pieces of whatever you're going to build, but it's exploded out. You see every screw or nail or dowel or in place of insertion. You see, you see all these different pieces labeled and all of that. To me, Psalm 20 is an exploded view. You're seeing all the bits and pieces and parts of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what I want to say, I mean, I, I know that anytime you give a sermon on prayer and talk about prayer, you know, we, we get bad feelings, we get bored feelings, we, we think this is not practical or something like that. But what I want to say is that if, if we can't get a hold of the heart of Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or prayers like it here in Psalm 20, prayer will definitely, I can make you a guarantee, prayer will definitely be a frustrating experience for you. You'll forever be like a little girl at her birthday party, frustrated by every single gift she ever receives because she has in her mind something that she wants that no one has planned to give her. I mean, as long as we're praying for sports victories and green lights and attractive dates, prayer is going to be a frustrating experience. We've gotta go deeper than that. We've gotta get into prayer for the kingdom 
the expansion of the kingdom of God. The less that we care about our kingdom and we're allowed to bring the the things of our lives to the Lord, the very next line in Jesus' prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. We're allowed to pray that way, but not exclusively. We're to cry out to God for his kingdom and the less we care for ours and the more we care for his, it opens up a world of prayer to us. Black and white gives way to 4K color if we can understand how to pray like this psalm. All right, so I'm gonna show you three things that I think this psalm shows us about how to pray, how to pray in line with its original heart. And the first one is this. This psalm can be a prayer from us to God for the expansion of his kingdom, a prayer from us to God for the expansion of his kingdom. Uh, Like I've been saying in David's day, Israel was the physical representation of God's kingdom. Uh, But God had been working since before the days of Israel's monarchy to bless Abraham's descendants and bless all the families of the earth through him and through them. And that's what God does. Slowly and steadily, God is seeping his way into every tribe and nation and tongue. There are visible kingdoms on earth today. They're carrying on doing their thing But all the while, whether kingdoms are on the rise or whether kingdoms fall, God's kingdom is ever building. It's it's picking up steam. It's reaching and multiplying and spreading. It's, It's reaching inside of the kingdoms of this earth. And one day, God's kingdom will fully arrive. And our longstanding prayer that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it will be fulfilled. Jesus did not uh, say like, this is going to be the greatest joke ever that I play on you. I'm going to tell every generation of every Christian to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it it won't ever really happen. No, Jesus is saying that the heart desire of my people for, for thousands of years, it is going to come to pass. My kingdom will supersede, eventually, the kingdoms of this world. So right now, we're to pray to our heavenly Father for the expansion of his kingdom. Why why do we need to do that? Well, in David's day, Israel's kings, when they would pray for them, they were up against visible enemies, right? Various uh, Nations would come against Israel, and the people of God would cry out, God, protect us, God, defend us, God, watch over us. We live in a time, though, where the kingdoms that are coming against God's kingdom are less visible and more invisible in nature. Uh, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He said, all of us as Christians, we used to be dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following, number one, the course of this world, that was something that we were all following and that was against us. Number two, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, so this behind-the-scenes entity that is controlling the course of this world. And verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. These are the things that are coming up against the kingdom of God, the fleshly desires and impulses of the body, 
the invisible powers of darkness behind a world system that is hell-bent on defying the desires and the heartbeat of God. And in the face of that hostility, we're to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you were to go on and read in that passage in Ephesians, what you would discover is, praise God, it often does. He goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, he sent the gospel so that we can, as we believe in the gospel, be rescued and be brought from darkness and into light. And there are many of us here in this room today, we would say, praise God and amen. That is what happened to me. I was following the world. I was following bodily impulses. I was being obedient to invisible powers that were influencing my mind and heart, but God came and rescued me. He delivered me from my captivity. So in a sense, what I want to say is that Psalm 20 is emblematic of all of our prayers for those who we love who don't know him yet, and we want them to be brought into the kingdom of God. So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to pause for a second and simply encourage you to pray organized, focused, consistent prayers of faith for those you love who have not yet believed in or submitted to Jesus. Let me talk about what I mean by that. By organized, I mean that we should and can privately create a list of those for whom we will pray. I'm being serious about this. I, I, I want to assign you this homework this week. Uh, I, I just would encourage you if, you, if you haven't done this already, make a list of, of just three or four or five people that, that you know need to know Jesus, that you care about, that you love you're in their lives to one degree or another. It might be a neighbor, it might be a relative, it might be a coworker, it might be a friend, but list those people down uh, before the Lord. I'm saying I want you to be organized about it. It's one thing to just say to God, God, save the Monterey Peninsula. <laughs> it's another thing to say, God, would you save John? You know, he, he's going through a rough time in his marriage right now. He seems like he's hitting a real low. Open his eyes to see that, that hope can be found in you. It's an entirely different thing to pray in that specific, organized way. Secondly, focused, organized and focused. Now, what, what I mean is that we should then pray for each person on that list, focusing on them over and over again. I remember years ago in my life group, one of the members of the life group, she was talking about her prayer list that she'd developed over the years, all these different concerns and all these different needs and all these different people. And she's a young mother, and so she said, you know, sometimes I'm so busy or I'm so tired that I'm not able to really spend the time that I'd like to praying for each one of these things and each one of these people but I know that God knows, so I'll just say to the Lord, on those days, God, the list. And, and then I'll move on, you know, with my day. And I love that. I think there's a lot of grace and uh, an understanding of God's grace and an experience like that. But my fear is that that is the majority of the time rather than the exception. 
That should be the exception rather than the rule of our lives. It takes focus. It takes actually bringing these people that we're thinking about, that we love, and that we care for to the throne room of the living God, bringing their name, their situation to our God. And then I would encourage you to be consistent, organized, focused, and consistent in prayer. I mean, we have to make this a regular and ongoing part of our lives before God. You might need a friend to help you stay on track with this, but over many months or years or decades, bring God your petitions for those you love who are still bound in darkness. And I said also, I'd encourage you to pray in faith. When we're praying to God, we should pray to him with a consciousness that this is the same God who created the worlds, who parted the Red Sea, and who defeated death in the resurrection of our Lord. He's able to break into the hearts of men and women and deliver them. Jesus talked about individual human hearts being like a house that has been taken hostage by a strong man. He said someone stronger needs to go in and bind that strong man. And my prayer is that we would, in faith, believe that our God is strong and that he can come in and do what needs to be done to set the captive free and to remove the blinders that exist. So I know I told you that I'm giving you this as homework today. Some of you are a little miffed about that. I didn't know this was a homework class. It is. Uh, but you ever been to a class before where they say, I'm going to give you a little time in class to work on your homework? We're going to take 30 seconds right now. If you're the kind of person who already has a list like this, pray for the people on that list. If you're not, be thinking about four or five people that you want to pray for in the future who don't yet know Jesus. Let's wait on him. Okay, so the first element I talked to you about in this prayer is that this is something we pray to God on behalf of people. We want to see people set free and brought, be brought into God's kingdom. But there is something about Psalm 20 that is a little bit awkward to pray directly to God. What I mean by that is that throughout the psalm, they were praying that God's kings would have protection on the day of trouble and help on the day of calamity. And uh, the reality is uh, we don't need to pray to God that he would have help. You know, God, we just pray that you would have help. You're so helpless. No, that's not our God at all. He doesn't need help. He's fine. He's sufficient. But who does need help? Well, the kings of Israel, they were God's messengers. They were God's uh, men that were designed to lead the people of Israel. So I think a second thing that I want to say is that we can use a prayer like this, and we can use the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to be a prayer from us for God's messengers, for God's messengers. Uh, we can use a prayer like this, or like Matthew 6, verse 10, to pray for missionaries, to pray for evangelists, to pray for pastors, to pray for gospel workers. 
uh, because they're working hard to see God's kingdom come and will be done here on earth. So we should join people like that together in prayer. Now, there's no way that you're gonna be able to pray for every gospel worker, every pastor, every Christian leader, every missionary, every evangelist on the face of the earth. You won't even know all of them. I mean, unless you wanna do the God the list kind of prayer. But the reality is, is that you're gonna know certain people that you can bring to God, but, but you should. Even Paul the Apostle requested prayer. And when he did, he asked people to pray for him that he would have boldness and clarity so that the word of the kingdom could have good success. Look at how he asked for prayer in 2, Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians chapter three. He said, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Well, what was he asking for? He's saying, you know, if, if I'm arrested or I'm shipwrecked or I'm imprisoned, you know, all these different things, be praying that the word would still gain traction, that the message of the gospel would continue to spread. That's what Paul wanted more than anything uh, through his life. And I think that's how we should pray for the pastors and missionaries and gospel workers in our lives. And again, I would encourage you in the same way, list them out and then faithfully, steadfastly, regularly bring them by name, by situation, uh, to the Lord in prayer. I think that if you do, you're going to experience some really great benefits uh, in your life. One major benefit that you're going to experience is that you are going to gain a broader and more worldwide perspective of what's happening here on earth. You know, there are so many forces at play in the world today designed to get our worlds to feel smaller than ever before. And uh, especially in this coming year, we're gonna be very conscious in our culture about our own country because we're heading into a presidential election. And so praying for missionaries and people that are doing gospel work throughout the world, it, it helps us realize that God is working globally, that there are peoples that God is reaching beyond just the borders of our own bubble or our broadcast feeds. And so that's one great benefit that I think will come into your lives. I think another great benefit that will come into your life is that as you're praying for missionaries and pastors and evangelists and gospel workers, it helps you be more in tune with the true nature of the conflicts that we see flaring up all around us. And there's always gonna be cultural wars, there's always gonna be literal wars, but those wars are inflamed by the enemy of our souls. And when you're praying for gospel workers and missionaries and evangelists, you're entering into that fray and asking God, God, would you defeat those powers? It helps you remember the true nature of the battle at hand. It helps you remember things like Paul said in Ephesians chapter six when he said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. There's something about praying for a missionary in a foreign context that helps you recognize afresh. That's where the real battle lies. There's an invisible force that is enslaving people, binding people, and I need to pray against that force. But I think another way that praying this way helps us is that it helps us be motivated in our own Christianity to stay strong and true in it. Uh, I read recently the story of a, an old pastor that uh, I've admired over the years named Charles Simeon. He uh, ministered 
uh, in uh, England many years ago, died in the 1830s. Uh, but his teaching and writing was so prolific that people are still gleaning from his work um, now today, almost 200 years later. Uh, and the story goes is that in his office, he had a portrait that was hanging up. And when people would come into his office or into his study, they'd ask him, who is that? Who, who's that picture of? And it was a portrait of a younger man named Henry Martin, who was actually uh, this pastor, Pastor Charles Simeon's uh, protege. He had raised him up. He had trained him. And then Henry had decided to go into Muslim territory and lands, and he, he laid down his life for the sake of the gospel. And in the portrait, uh, this younger man, this missionary, he had a very stern look on his face, like they all do in portraits from that era. He had a very stern look on his face. I don't know what he looked like, but he was from England in the 1800s. He probably had an epic beard or something like that. And apparently, Pastor Charles would joke around and say, this is Henry, and he was a missionary, and the stern look on his face reminds me that I do not have the liberty to mess around. And he would kind of wag his finger at the portrait and he would say, I will not trifle, Henry, I will not trifle. And it was a reminder to him that, look, there are these great people out there doing incredible things. I can't mess around with the life that God has given to me. And I love that. I think that consistent, ongoing prayer for God's gospel workers can do this in our lives. It can motivate us to keep it real. It can motivate us to, to stay charging, to stay focused in what the Lord has asked us to do. Uh, so those are some uh, ways that praying your kingdom come, your will be done for God's messengers can help us. Uh, but before I go to one last one, I want to say that in praying for God's messengers, I think that the Old and New Testament would also give us the space to say part of praying that way would be to not only pray for missionaries and gospel workers and pastors and uh, church leadership and all of that, but also to pray for our political leaders. Uh, the, the Bible teaches that governing authorities are here under the sovereign and instituting hand of God, whether we like them or not, that God is sovereign. So in a sense, the Bible says, they are also God's messengers, and in a different way than an evangelist would be, but a messenger of God nonetheless. And just as Israel prayed for their literal kings, the New Testament church can pray for their literal politicians and those in authority. Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we're to be praying for our political leaders so that we can have the peace to do what God has called us to do as the church. God, let us have enough freedom to be able to be the church that you've asked us to be, and we pray for our political leaders that they would continue to give us uh, that, that freedom that they wouldn't infringe upon it because then we'd have to be obedient to God rather than man. 
Okay, so like I said, this is your homework. Make a list of four or five uh, gospel workers, pastors, evangelists that you want to uh, be praying for. Let's take 30 seconds to do that. If you, haven't, if you don't have this kind of list already, then uh, you can make that list. And if I could be so bold as to give you a suggestion for a guy that I know that you could put on the list. His name's Nate. He lives in Monterey. Uh, he would covet your prayers if you'd like to pray them. So let's take a moment. Okay, the last thing I quickly wanna say is that not only can we pray this prayer to God for the expansion of his kingdom and to God for his messengers, but I think we can pray this prayer to God for all God's people, for all God's people. Uh, now, I know what you might be thinking. Well, Nate, at the beginning of this teaching, you made a really big deal about understanding the context of this prayer and who we're not allowed to be praying it for. Now you're saying we can pray it generically for all of God's people. I would say it this way. We pray this prayer for all of God's people as they live on the mission that God has given to them. Uh, you see, the New Testament teaches that even though some people are called to a life of total and complete dedication of their lives to God's kingdom, every single Christian is called to the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, verse 12. If you're a Christian today, God has ministry plans and designs for you. So what that means is that we can pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done through the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ and in our own lives as well. Uh, so what this means, what I'm trying to say, is that we can be praying for each other that we would be great representatives of Jesus and his gospel, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done through our lives as we live out our everyday lives here on earth. And I want to say that that kind of gospel work, the kingdom expanding work that a lot of us are called to, it's actually the most difficult type of work. It's, of course, challenging to sell everything, pack it all up, and move to a remote part of the world to spread the gospel among those who have never heard the name of Jesus. But it is uniquely challenging, and it takes great discernment and wisdom to serve the post-Christian society that most of us live in. It's just a challenge. We need prayer to know how to do it well. One missionary called the culture that we are in the most resistant, challenging missionary frontier of all time. All right, so congratulations. We, we've got our work cut out for us. Uh, now, in response, it, do, it doesn't work to withdraw like the Amish, to seek political takeover like we tried in the 80s, assimilate to the world's perspectives like many mainline churches have done over the last 50 years. Instead, we have to pursue a faithful presence within. So in the same way that you might pray for a list of people who need Jesus and you might pray for a list of people who are serving Jesus, you could also pray for a list of people you know who just love Jesus. And as you pray for them, you could ask God to give them strength to be a strong light for Christ throughout their everyday lives. You're not just praying, in other words, for, oh, I pray that their kids would do all right. I pray that they'd have a good amount of health. I, pr I pray that they'd uh, have provision and that they'd make enough money or that they'd get promoted. What, what you're praying for is that the light of Jesus would be shining through their lives. Every believer in our modern world needs 
the grace of God to help them as they witness for him in this world. If you're a teacher, you need God's grace and mercy to strengthen you to know how to expand his kingdom here on earth, in your classroom, and among those parents. If you're a tradesman, you need to have God's wisdom and grace to know how to navigate ethically your responsibilities while other people are cutting corners and doing things that a good Christian is not allowed to or willing to do, whether it's in business or uh, military or staying at home and caring for our kids. We need God's discernment on how to live in a way that would expand his kingdom. But here's the beauty of this psalm. It is guaranteed that it will occur one day. Look at verse six. They say God is going to save and God is going to answer. In verse eight, they say everyone against the king will collapse and fall. And in verse nine, God will answer our call. As I've been saying, this prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that long-standing prayer, it will come to pass one day. Right now, God is doing it slowly and partially, but one day, Christ will return in full glory, and his kingdom will arrive quickly and completely. Because of this, we all should make the same commitment that the psalm makes. Look at what they say in verse 7. They say, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, I have never been tempted to trust in a chariot or a horse to save me from anything. I've just never been in that predicament where that is what would deliver me. But I think we understand what's being said. There's a temptation to take matters into our own hands, even in an attempt to expand his kingdom. I mean, if you're the kind of person who regularly prays, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are the kind of person who does not want things to stay the way that they are. You're a person that longs for change, for the expansion of his kingdom among us and in us and through us. But sometimes we get our eyes off of God because we want that change so bad, and so we think we gotta make it happen in our own power. And because of this tendency, we have to daily hallow, revere, honor, respect, fear God and his name and put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's a story I love in 2 Chronicles 20 that I think uh, is emblematic of this whole song. Uh, deep into Israel's monarchy, they faced a massive threat from three foreign powers that coalesced together to attack Israel. Uh, they were doomed to die. And so they came to the king. His name was Jehoshaphat. And he, because of the situation they were in, he called for a fast among the nation. And they went to seek God. And as they prayed, they expressed their powerlessness and their vulnerability to God. I love their prayer. They said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's all they could pray. We don't know what to do. We don't know the answer. We, we know we're in a desperate situation, but our eyes are on you. And while they prayed and while they fasted, the Spirit of the Lord led a man named Jehaziel to prophesy to them that they should not be dismayed, that they should not be fearful of this great army that was coming up against them because he said the battle belongs to the Lord. He told them to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, just like Moses had said many years ago before the waters of the Red Sea. The next day, 
Jehoshaphat, the king, he took his troops out into battle. But in front of his troops, he placed a praise and worship team. And they went on singing and praising and crying out to God. Now, some of you are in the military. I'm not saying that you should bring this as an idea up at your brainstorming sessions. We should have a worship team out at the front. But for them, as they gave thanks to God for his steadfast love, what happened was confusion descended upon the three armies, and they turned against each other and annihilated themselves. Without lifting a finger, God's people had been protected. God's people had won. Their prayers for God's kingdom and king had been answered. And I think that the kind of prayer that they would have prayed when they went out was this prayer from Psalm 20. They would be praying for Jehoshaphat to have victory, for his plans to succeed when he went up against those armies. And it's the kind of prayer that we ought to pray as we and others head out into the battlefields of everyday life. We need to ask God to win in the lives of others, to win for missionaries and gospel workers, and to win in the lives of believers that we know. Through us, the kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one day it will come. However, the question remains, will we pray? And uh, my urging today is to make these lists and bring them to God continually, faithfully, and regularly asking him to do a work in and through our lives. Amen? Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.